We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we are streaming live on YouTube.com slash SoxMachine, as well as on Twitter and Twitch and on SoxMachine.com on this fine Wednesday evening, May 11, 2023. The weather is absolutely beautiful in Chicago. So for all those that are currently watching us right now, especially in Chicago, and not enjoying this lovely weather that we have, greatly appreciate all of you because, man, this episode is not going to be positive. If you wanted some positive White Sox talk, you've come to the wrong place. If you want to scream at the White Sox, you have come to the right place because the Chicago White Sox, after winning back-to-back series against the Minnesota Twins, and the Cincinnati Reds go into Kansas City and lose three out of four games. The Royals were 3-16 and 16 at home this season before the series, and now they have doubled their win total at home after this series. And, Jim, the White Sox are currently 13-26, and 26, and honestly, I just, I don't got, I don't have answers right now. And it really sounds like the White Sox themselves don't have any answers as well with what we have seen in the first 39 games of this season. I was trying to think, where would you go to find positive White Sox talk? Chuck like Garfine. Even he's like... He's it's not, not positive. positive, positive. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's still holding out for hope. Like, yeah, but, and McGuffey yeah. balances them out. So, like, you, there, there are checks and balances even on the uh, White Sox talk, talk podcast to prevent it from uh, really, uh, you know, selling past the close. But, yeah, no, it's it's bad. Like, it's definitely like a case where, you know, the schedule is lightening up, win a series, win a series, you know, missing the opportunity to sweep. But, okay, like, brushing off bad games – having some stopper action when it came to like Lucas Giolito picking up and like, all right, seeing what teams, you know, like what a good team does, even when they're playing like not their best ball, they're still figuring out a way to leave cities better than they entered them. And then, yeah, this happens. And not only did they lose the series, but they lost the series in 
a depressing way, like two blowouts, uh, one where the wheels just completely came off an inning, and then like ending on a squeeze bunt, uh, allowing a leadoff walk that came around to score with Reynaldo Lopez on the mound. And I think there are questions about like why he tends to be the guy suffering the losses or the blown saves in these situations. Now that even you know, after some stability in the bullpen with some guys emerging who have looked pretty good, uh, that he's still the guy, you know, at the end um, trying to, you know, I guess, earn his keep as a high leverage guy. A lot of questions, not many answers. Yeah. And I don't know where you want to start as far as the problems in this particular series. I guess I'll start with the White Sox offense. This is not a gauntlet of starting pitchers the White Sox faced in the Mm -hmm. Kansas City Royals. I mean, Zach Greinke, Jordan Lyles, Brad Keller. uh, I know I'm forgetting. Oh, and uh, Brady Singer Singer. pitched today. I mean, Brady Singer had an ERA above eight. Brad Keller had more walks and strikeouts coming into his start. Jordan Lyles is Jordan Lyles. Like, the only respectable pitcher the White Sox face in this series is Zach Greinke, and he's a shell of himself just hanging on for one last season, one more season of his major league career before he hangs it up and he goes into coaching or some type of front office role with a future ball club in Major League Baseball. I'm sure he'll stick around in baseball. But this is a weak starting pitching staff the White Sox face. And I know the White Sox are not at 100%. There are guys that are in the injured list. But still, like, where is the firepower? Where is some runs here to put up at least a respectable fight? Like, if it's not Luis Robert and Andrew Vaughn driving in runs, Jim, like, nobody else is doing anything within this White Sox lineup. Yeah, I think now is a good time with the quarter of the season coming up to start talking about Andrew Benintendi and wondering like what exactly he's bringing to the proceedings because he was the big outside addition to help boost this offense and he really has not done that and I think that was the fear when the White Sox added him and you know we talked about how like he should stabilize left field defense and the left field defense has been better fine. Uh, you know, he's a decent at bats. Like he never, he seldom looks like overmatched has the ugly games that say like Luis Robert has, or, um, you know, Eloy Jimenez has where they're, you know, swinging, chasing stuff out of the zone, ending at bats, one pitch in or beating stuff in the ground. Like his at bats, uh, game to game look competitive and look like if there's a runner on third and, and, and fewer than two outs, you want him up the plate, but in bulk, you know, series after series, week after week, you know, as the sample size gets bigger, you realize like, man, there's not a lot of impact here. And now that we're 40 games of the season or 39 games of the season coming up on on the three quarters poll, um, it's fair to start wondering, like, and especially like with Jose Abreu coming to town since Benintendi replaced Abreu as that, you know, part of the lineup, as that part of the lineup's budgets, uh, and, and they're both not doing much, like, it's fair to say, like, why, you know, why did he get the $75 million contract? Why was he the record uh, addition? And, like, if the White Sox have to try to rebuild or retrench or retool their lineup, like, he's not really a guy to build around. Uh, so he's just kind of – if the White Sox have to reshape their entire offense, like, he's just kind of going to be there and not be somebody who defines a next White Sox offense if there has to be a next White Sox offense. Well, the thing with Ben Attendee, he's not doing what he said that he wanted to do this offseason, which was pull the ball in the air, especially at home. And if he did that at home, mm-hmm. 
we were optimistic that, yeah, he could hit more than five home runs. Maybe he can go back to hitting 15 home runs a season because guarantee rate field is so friendly for left-handed hitters. This guy must be using balsa wood for his bats. Like, there's just nothing here at all. Like, what happened to the bet attendee from last year? Is it the wrist? Is it? Well, I mean, like, given the White Sox track record with signing guys coming off season-ending injuries, like, it tends to be relievers like Kelvin Herrera and uh, and Joe Kelly, and even, like, going back to, you know, Jeff Kepinger, who had a, like, weird shoulder thing in the offseason the year that they signed him, like, is that the issue? Is that, like, his power has not fully returned from the injury that ended the season of September with the Yankees? Like, Fair to, I mean, fair to throw everything out there. Like, I have not seen anything to that effect. But when you look at the contact, when you look at him not doing what even like Fangrass had an article talking about, like how he has shown the ability to change his batted ball profile based on where he's playing. Like, that just hasn't been in evidence yet. And perhaps, you know, that's one variable that I think is worth acknowledging just because we've seen the White Sox screw this up before. And it's just not Ben Attendee. Like, I know we're poking at Ben Attendee. I know Tim Anderson dealt with a knee injury, but I mean, Tim Anderson's in the same boat as Andrew Benatendi. I think their weighted run rate, their weighted runs created plus after the first quarter of the season is like in the mid seventies. Like Tim Anderson doesn't have a home run. Like what are, what are we doing here? Like, what are the, what are the conversations that are going on between these new hitting coaches of the White Sox and to the players, because Luis Robert before a game said that the only thing that he wants to know is how hard a pitcher throws. Like, tell me what the velocities are with the pitches. That's all I want to know because he's worried about getting too much information. And I guess that explains why Luis Robert is very streaky. Because if he's not seeing the ball well, or if he can't tell what velocity is being thrown at him, He's not doing the other homework, checking heat maps or checking film before a game and how a pitcher could possibly attack him. He doesn't want that information. So if he's reading the ball well out of a pitcher's hand, he's going to have big games. If he doesn't, well, that's why he looks silly sometimes and he can go cold for a couple of weeks. But it's just like the lack of consistency in preparation from the White Sox hitters leads to this type of series where like their one win against Jordan Lyles and someone brought it up in the comment section. Jordan Lyles pitched a complete game, Jim. Mm -hmm. He only allowed six hits, and luckily the White Sox had five extra base hits. Out of those six hits, they didn't walk. Six base runners in nine innings against Jordan Lyles. Like, this is a part of the urgency that we're lacking or that we're not seeing from the White Sox. And it was promised that they weren't going to have, you know, these energy problems coming into games because Pedro Grafal said on the other side of the field in the other clubhouse, you can tell that if the White Sox came out and they were flat, you could beat them. But if they were playing, you know, they had a high energy level, they were going to be tough to beat. And it just seems like this team so often, especially offensively, is just coming into these games, Jim, flat. And dare I say unprepared, which both Grafal and Rick Khan acknowledged that that was an issue and that was going to be addressed before the season. And here we are, 25% of the season done with, and these are still big problems for the White Sox. Yeah, 
when writing about the White Sox, I tend to avoid the phrase sense of urgency just because like, I don't know what that necessarily means a lot of the time. Like, you know, are they supposed to run harder on routine ground outs? Are they supposed to like, um, you know, fall down the box swinging hard? Like the way the White Sox play uh, and their flaws, like plate discipline, ground balls, poor defense, the guys who get on base tend to be, you know, not the, not the fastest. Uh it's a case where like they tend to look low energy when they're just their flaws are um, very present. And so like, you know, they could probably, you know, show a little bit more life, but when they're hitting the ball on the ground time after time, like frustration eventually seeps in. I think it's just very easy to say they're low energy versus like if they're a faster team, uh, if they got on base, they could try to raise more hell on the base paths or if they played better defense, they could, you know, just, try to provide some energy that way with like sensational defensive plays uh-huh. or they, you know, were more of a contact. They, they, they just don't really have anything that defines them as a team, like no strength really that allows them to say like, where are this team? You know, right now they're just kind of like, they do everything halfway. Okay. Depending on who's feeling it that day. And that's not really, you know, when that guy doesn't show up or when that sequence of at bats doesn't show up, they're just left with nothing. And I think the low energy look seeps in or everybody gets, you know, depressed and they just, you know, it starts to seep into just the, uh, the, the foundation of the team. Uh, but that just, you know, that phrase comes to mind is just, you know, sense of urgency. Just, I, I don't know. Urgency doesn't necessarily help because I think the, the white Sox with the way they pursued Griffal or the way they, you know, the way Han lauded Griffal for saying like, oh, he addressed our need for energy. He's like, well, maybe he did. And maybe just the White Sox style play is not conducive to sustaining energy. Like you could only fake it for so long. And if you're not making it, then apparently, you know, you have to be delusional. You know, if, it, if you're just making the same mistakes, you know, month after month after month and, and nothing is getting better and the players the White Sox bring in don't really address those shortcomings. Like, uh, you know, Andrew Benatetti not addressing the White Sox shortcoming when it comes to, like impact contact. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Clevenger is just a guy to fill in the, uh, a fifth starter spot. And like his production would be fine if Lance Lynn and Dylan Cease were throwing the way they normally do. But because they aren't, Clevenger makes no difference whatsoever. He's just he's a seat filler. So, you know, the, the guys, they're, they're big additions aren't helping. Like Elvis Andrews, not really helping. Like he's just a guy. Um, so they're counting on the players that they had last year to be elevated by a new coaching staff. And, you know, maybe it's just the players and the way the, you know, their particular weaknesses like Anderson coming back from a, uh, you know, knee injury. And we saw this last year when he came back from a groin injury and wasn't like a hundred percent. And that really affected his play. Like is knee injury sapping him the same way the groin injury did. And he just can't put his lower half into any swings. And he's just more of a mediocre Alcides Escobar type that we talked about at the top of the order. Like, these are questions that we wrestled with last year. And I think energy and preparation and whatnot can only go so far if the talent is as flawed as it looked. And that's, you know, that's why I keep going back to Tony Larusa and just saying like, you know, the, the mistake was, you know, wasn't necessarily that he was the world's worst manager, but that he created such noise uh, over the whole situation that the, the flaws of the roster went ignored to where like Rick Hahn could say like, you know, Basically, I wonder if the interview process with Griffal is just like them sitting around for three hours making fun of the way the White Sox played. And like, you're our guy. And then uh, turns out that the way the White Sox are is the reason why the White Sox played the way they did. The reason the sense of urgency comments coming up, because after the loss against the Royals, Pedro Griffal was asked about the sense of urgency 
of the Chicago White Sox said if he's concerned about how the team is starting, again, 13-26. and 26. Grafal said, concerned, there's a lot of baseball left. Disappointed at times with lack of urgency? Absolutely, I am. Absolutely. That starts with me. So we got to be better. We got to be better as a staff. We got to be better as a ball club. And that comes from Scott Birkin, who is the White Sox beat reporter of MLB.com. It's game 39, Jim, of the 2023 season. And Pedro Grafal has run out of things to say. So now now he's playing the greatest hits that he's got, which are not all that great. And this is like another problem. And the things that you just pointed out to, this coaching staff is not getting to the core players. Like you can, you can just tell. Like there's a disconnect here, and that was the job coming into this season. Is Pedro Grafal the guy that can motivate this team to play at the level that they're supposed to be playing? And I think it's it's quite clear after the first quarter of the season, Jib. The answer is no. He cannot motivate these guys. He cannot, he cannot navigate the stormy waters with the injuries that run into, which, by the way, Yasmani Grandal left today's game with some type of tightness in his right hamstring, so maybe he's going on the injured list. Yay. So, mm-hmm. Grafal, no. The, the answer to the question, can Grafal motivate this core to get back to the way they should be playing? The answer is no. It's really tough to start a managerial career the way he started it. Like this is a case where you just don't last. You, you well, go thirteen and twenty six. How many guys last with this yeah. core of a start, Jim? Well, thirteen twenty six with your only team. Like if he had a history, like say, like Bruce Bochy were in his spot and starting thirteen and twenty six with the White Sox, you'd say, well. You know, Bruce Bochy won three World Series with the Giants. Uh, you know, he's hasn't been out of the game that long. Uh, this is definitely us, not him. You know, this is a case where, you know, he should know, uh, you know, he should know a little bit about how to get a team out of the rut. The coaches that he should have should, you know, should be coaches he trusts. Uh, it, it's not Bruce Bochy's fault, you know, it, because he's got three rings. Like Griffal, like, this is his first ever job. He's never played in the majors, which I think is another thing that works against him. Like in the case like this, uh, if he's, it hasn't been a guy who's been there as long as he's been coaching and he's coached a lot. Like, I think there is a little bit of a credibility gap if you've never played in the majors and you're starting like this. Uh, if you're taking over a rebuilding team that were going 13, 26, I doubt anybody would care. But since this is, uh, you know, a lot of patience is being exhausted. I'm sure like a lot of the players are frustrated, whether it's players who care or players who are just like want to be somewhere else and necessarily uh, don't care. Like the way Jose Abreu, uh, I forget the exact phrase he used, but he said like that basically like some of the guys there deserve to be on a good team. Like that was, that was the gist of it. Uh, and, and which, uh, yeah, makes you think like some of the guys maybe don't or were the reason why they weren't a family uh, when he talked about it. So, you know, when you look at it that way, you know, it, it, I, I don't know how Grafal can turn, th- turn things around. Like, he can't really say it. That's, he can't say anything because he's not like, well, when I was in San Francisco, I, you know, we had a season like this. And we, like, he really hasn't been in situations where he's been either in command or even like the second in command uh, playing an integral role in a winning team. Like, that's why I think, like, Han probably wanted, like, experience with the recent 
um, championship team, or at least, you know, imagine like a regular playoff team to be able to absorb situations like this, like sawdust, in a way, like when everybody's vomiting, you go like, you, you at least have some credibility and some success to point to some medals on your jacket to say like, here's why I'm in charge. But like Griffal, like, I wonder if he's running into that where just, uh, why should we believe you, uh, that you say things are going to get better? You know, what do you, you and Mike Tozar and Eddie Rodriguez know about a winning team? You know, Mike Matheny is terrible. Like, and, and that was your most recent boss. Uh, that, that's kind of what I'm wondering about here. And, uh, I mean, part of it is, you know, Rick Hahn is tied to the guy, uh, based on how much he gushed in the uh, off season. So, I mean, like, depends on if Han hangs around, imagine Griffal hang around uh, and, and other parts will change. But like if the front office is overhauled, like Griffal probably has to be gone, which is fine. Like it's unfortunate for him because he seems like a decent person, but this is probably just like the worst situation he could have inherited is a, a team that's this bad uh, playing this poorly, but actually had like some semblance of expectations. Like nobody, I, I think, you know, the, the algorithms didn't like him, but even like, you know, fans who, or, or outlets that previously bought into the White Sox name brand talent were saying like, ah, oh, you got to show us again. Uh, after the mm-hmm. way you faced last time, you got to show us. And, and they're showing the complete opposite. And that just, you know, I, I don't know how a manager comes back from that. Uh, especially with nothing else to point to, to say like, yeah, I've been the guy before and I can be it again. Like he's never been the guy before. So, uh, it's fair to question if he ever will be or can be, especially when he's already inheriting this much baggage. Well, Charlie Montoyo, who is his bench coach, wasn't he canned in Toronto for a similar situation, which the players just stopped listening to him? Kind of like, it, yeah, not, I would say not listening and tuning him out a little bit, wanting more of a kick. Like nobody could say a bad thing about him or nobody's willing to say a bad thing about him on the record. And even like the reporters are saying like, uh, they liked him. They thought he was a nice guy, but just, you know, they felt like he could be doing things a little bit differently and just, you know, he wasn't, uh, you know, almost like he didn't share their disappointments. He had like too sunny of a personality and just wasn't the right, uh, wasn't the right guy for a situation where they're just kind of hanging around 500 and not reaching that extra gear. So, yeah. And, and between the two of them, uh, I think it was Matt Spiegel asked like, who's the hard ass between them? Because like if Griffal is a communicator and kind of a, a player friendly guy and Montoyo had this reputation for being uh, more of a, a sunny side up guy in Toronto, like who's going to be pride the kick. And Griffal said that he's definitely the guy who can provide the kick. And right now, um, you know, maybe he is trying to kick, but like that goes back to why should they listen to him if, you know, this is all he has for a resume, basically, aside from some work and, you know, with some successful teams a while back in Kansas City and a decent reputation around the game for being somebody who just is has been good at smaller roles, but has never been the voice of a team before. One topic that I quickly want to touch on is Lance Lynn going to get DFA, Jim? Not with Davis Martin hurt. Like, who takes those starts? Jesse Schultons. Like, no, you need Jesse Schultons to, like, do – like, if Davis Martin were here, were around like right now, he's a forearm strain, and, like, the White Sox have been real cagey about, like, just, mm-hmm. you know, what he's been dealing with. Like, given that he walked off the mound in abbreviated fashion in his last start of the season, like, there's this fear kind of over his forecast, like, is Tommy John surgery in the future? And right now they're uh, not doing a whole lot to dissuade you from, like, him being – you know, unavailable for the season, but there really is nothing to do with this roster spot. 
you know, to me, like I want to look more into this, but it seems like, you know, his problem is big innings. And I wonder if it's a stretch thing, just that, you know, him pitching for the lineup, like he can, he can get on a roll when he doesn't have to go in the stretch. When he goes from the stretch, like something's got to be off to where like he's just making terrible pitches or like lacking the one mile per hour power uh, that could be making the difference between like getting a ball past a guy or getting weak contact versus like the barrel meeting it right where it has to be. Uh, you know, that bringing up the Dallas Keuchel situation of like, oh, bats are getting to the spot. Like the, the ball is no longer finding the 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 label or the end of the bat like. Yeah, they're onto him. And, you know, especially when he's from the stretch, like when it goes, it goes, then he stabilizes for a little bit and like, he's fine, but just seems to me like there is some kind of stretch issue that allows uh, mistakes to uh, multiply as soon as there's a runner on. I put this poll up on Twitter. I'm curious in your thoughts. Another quick question on August 1st, 2023, what team is Lucas Giolito on? Hmm. Do you Not have a team in mind? Sox, I, right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's yeah. the I'm, answer, I'm trying, right? Not yeah, the White right. Sox. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, I was trying to think. Like, I don't have an immediate answer offhand just because, like, I think that's going to be a thing where injuries determine it. I mean, like, Yankees right. are a possibility just because their rotation's banged up, depending on if they need somebody. Uh, like, and I think Giolito would fit the bill a little bit there. But yeah, I mean, I think that picture can change based on who gets hurt, like Atlanta, right? With, uh, Max freed out like in, you know, give that their high school yeah. teammates. Like yeah. you never know uh, who knows what the Cardinals would do exactly with what they got going on there. Um, yeah. There are a lot of teams that can use somebody like him. So the market should be robust for a guy with a, an expiring contract. Yeah. I, Lucas G Lito is a bright spot in this series. And that's where it kind of feels like, are we replaying 2019? Is this team going to go 73 and 89? And what we're rooting for is watching Lucas Giolito starts because we got no idea what's going on with Dylan Cease other than his mechanics are way out of whack and he's back to pulling fastballs. And you wrote about this on SoxMachine.com, like the four-seam fastball is a problem again for Dylan Cease. So we're rever- we are reverting back to like 2020 Cease and that's not good. He's got what, like a 5.68 ERA. Like Mike Clevenger's got the second lowest ERA in the White Sox starting staff. It goes Giolito, Clevenger, Cease, Kopech, and Lynn. And if you go to Fangraphs.com, like Michael Kopech's already worth negative 0.6 war mm-hmm. on the season because of the home runs that he's allowing. And yeah, he's got raises, one pitch basically. Yeah, it raises questions like, is he even a starting pitcher? Like now we have to have this conversation again regarding Michael Kopech. Like, yeah, it, it right now kind of feels like 2019, but with 2019, there was no expectations. You were just sitting back, relaxing, watching all these young players get experience in the major league level, playing with Jose Abreu, knowing that better days are ahead. Now in 2023, get a couple more months of Lucas Giolito starts and then uh, he's gone. That's yeah. what we're going to be looking forward to is what team is going to trade for Lucas Giolito. And Lance Lynn can read the script from his, uh, was it guaranteed rate commercial? Is that the one where he talked about being the worst pitcher in baseball? Like worst pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we're looking at here. Um, yeah. Cease is just, you know, that's it, a part of like Ethan Katz, like the Dylan Cease was one of Ethan Katz's success stories. 
And now like that story is kind of slipping from him. And if Giolito has gone and Cease is ineffective and, you know, Lynn is able to figure it out and Kopech is down to, like I said, one pitch, like the slider hasn't really been there for him to where uh, used to be fastball slider. Now he's just kind of fastball and the breaking ball isn't reliable for him. Clevenger is getting by, you know, like two strikeouts against the Royals. Like, you know, he, he, I think it's been a few starts in a row where he hasn't gotten even double digits and whiffs. Like he seems like a, a, a bomb that could go off at any time, especially against like a lefty heavy lineup. But you know, he's doing the job through a quarter of the season. Like he's been fine for, you know, his purposes. Uh, but you know, fine just doesn't cut it. Like this is a case where like, yeah, cats is, uh, I mean, go, goes back to like, you know, Griffal was saddled with cats. So if Griffal hangs around, does he get to pick his own pitching coach? Well, the white Sox say you can pick your own pitching coach, but he can't be from Kansas city. You can't call Cal Eldred and say, what's going on or Dave Island. Like it has to be somebody, you know, brand new, like, you know, like that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking is just a lot is so rife for overhaul here, but you know, given that the white Sox really, there's no purpose in doing a complete sell off because the, players they have to sell aren't really worth that much. I think right now it's just kind of more of a controlled burn uh, with the roster, getting rid of, you know, the, the players who can maybe bring something back and then waiting some contracts out and then hoping, oh yeah, I was about to say, hoping next wave can show up, but like Brian Ramos is hurt and another guy who is missing his injury timetables. Colson Montgomery is hurt and has no specific date to come back. Like this, mm-hmm. that's what I think makes this especially dire is you can't like look at 2024 and say like, well, I know who's going to be playing shortstop if they trade Tim Anderson. I know who's going to be pitching if they trade uh, Lucas Giolito. Like that's what's missing here is like the guys who can step in and maybe you're kind of thinking like the 2007 White Sox, you know, John Danks and Gavin Floyd, not ready to pitch on a contender yet, but ready to get the experience, take the lumps, uh, learn what they have to do, make some adjustments in the offseason. Like as long as Davis Martin is unavailable, like the White Sox don't really have that guy yet. Like maybe you know, Christian Mena is the closest, but like he's 20 and he's pitching with a tacky ball in the Southern League. We don't exactly know like exactly just what he – what his true talent level is given how warped the Southern league is for pitchers based on the random experiment they threw into. Like, what if we give them, uh, uh, what if we provide a baseball that's severely ad- advantageous to the pitchers? Like that's what Maine is dealing with right now. Sean Burke is just kind of coming back and only pitching like three innings at a time. There isn't anybody right now who's going to step in. Like Oscar Colas is basically that guy, Lenin Sosa. You know, those are the guys who can make use of three months, even if they struggle, learn what they can do or can't do and go from there. But aside from them, like, you know, that there, there is no next wave right now. The, the, the continual pipeline of talent that Rick Hahn talked about is like one of the fireable offenses. The <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh. Like it could be a case where like, you know, if he built a pipeline, you could say like, well, this didn't work. Uh, you know, this current core is kind of falling apart or needs to be you know, readjusted a little bit. But we can have like kind of like the Cleveland uh, retrenching when they went to Rosario and Jimenez and traded Lindor, like a step back, but also not like completely out of it. You just they, they were less than but not for four or five years. You know, it wasn't a huge project. It was more long lines of, well, Lindor's going to be off the roster anyway, so let's get some guys who can maybe uh, make use of a year where there aren't expectations and get that valuable experience. Right now, like, who are the Rosario and Jimenez on this roster? Like, they don't really have those guys who feel like fixtures in a year or two. 
Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customable snow glasses, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair you've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. I actually have three pairs from Shady Rays because they just look awesome and I'm very picky about my sunglasses. Sometimes I like to match my sunglasses with my outfit. I can be that way. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Again, that's ShadyRays.com, promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Here's good news. The White Sox are coming home and they're facing the Houston Astros. Woo! As the Houston Astros this season, you know, they're they're starting slow. The Astros are 19 and 18 on the season. They're three and a half games back of the Texas Rangers in the American League West. And the probable pitchers for this series from a White Sox perspective. Uh, Friday night, watch the weather. High chance of rain coming through Chicago as there's a bit of a cold front coming in this weekend. Friday could be a little wet. Uh, it is a 7.10 p.m. Central Time start for that game between the White Sox and Astros. Michael Kopech is slated to be the Game 1 starter of the series. Saturday night, 6.15 p.m. Central Time. It's looking dry in Chicago on Saturday. That's going to be Dylan Cease. Again, if it rains out on Friday, it's going to be a doubleheader on Saturday. So keep that in mind if you do have Friday night tickets. Sunday, Mother's Day, 1.10 p.m. Central Time. Pay attention to the weather again as rain is in the forecast. Lucas Giolito is set to get the ball on Sunday against the Houston Astros. And Dylan Cease was absolutely tremendous against the Houston Astros on opening day. But that seems so far away from the Dylan Cease we have seen uh, recently. So hopefully he can uh, capture that magic. But when it comes to the Houston Astros... Visiting Guarantee Ray Field, again, they're not playing their best baseball. Kind of a slow start here. They're 19-18 and 18 to start the season. Currently in third place in the American League West behind the Angels and the Rangers. The big story coming into this series is that Jose Abreu makes his return to Chicago. And while the White Sox have been terrible, so has Jose Abreu. Abreu is hitting 218. With a 265 on base percentage and slugging 261, he has yet to hit a home run this season. He has just six doubles and he's got 14 RBIs in 36 games. That is a 526 OPS, folks. And now you have a lot of people at Houston scratching their head wondering uh, why did the Astros sign this guy and why does Jose Abreu continue to bat uh, cleanup in this lineup? 
this is going to be fascinating, Jim, because you're going to have the White Sox beat reporters pretty much skip whatever is happening in the White Sox clubhouse, going directly to the Astros clubhouse to get their microphones in front of Jose Abreu. And there's so many questions to ask. Like, you can ask about his struggles and, and what's going on. You can also ask for his perspective on what's going on with the White Sox. Is Was there anything that you saw last year that would hint that they would have this bad of a start? Well, I mean, like when it came to like a Bray, one of the things I was kind of fascinated by when he was in spring training and seemed like he was having a fun time in spring training and uh, a little bit relieved to be free of what the was going on with the White Sox over the past year and such. Uh, the Astros talked about like how, you know, he's been hitting the ground, ball on the ground a little bit too much. You know, run you know, run production situations, need him to get the lift ball more. We're going to work on that. And to me, it was just like, well, it's weird that they're voicing this. Like, that's kind of new. Like, before, Abreu was just kind of allowed to go about his business. Um, you know, he had some shortcomings in terms of being a player, but every player does, or most players do. So, like, it didn't necessarily bother me that, like, it kind of went unsaid with the White Sox. But seeing fresh eyes on Abreu, seeing, like, a new, you know, an organization with, like, real success in building hitters and building a, a, a really deep lineup with patience. Like, I was intrigued to see... Would a new organization like unlock something that had been hampering him? Like maybe his only weakness as a player was just, you know, expanding the strike zone too much and hitting balls in the ground, uh, especially for ruts at a time. And sure enough, like, nope, he just looks like he's kind of getting old. <laughs> and there was a article a couple weeks ago talking about like Alex Cintron, who's the uh, Astros hitting coach saying like, old it's friend. a mechanical. Yeah. Old friend. Um, surprising how terrible his White Sox career was. I don't remember him being that bad. I think it's before like wins above replacement was really uh, a thing to where that we paid attention to. But like, I think his starts like a, a negative two uh, during his time with the White Sox. I think because he hit like 280 and played a bunch of positions like we weren't able to really tell how uh, poor he was at any one of them. But uh, that aside, um, you know, Cintron was talking about how Abreu, you know, it's mechanical. And Abreu was saying, no, it's just, you know, he was more or less uh, saying like, it's more of a feeling thing. I had to get on track and Abreu was never terribly overly technical with his answers. I mean, he's t speaking through a translator. So that might've been part of it. Like just not wanting to try to make Billy Russo talk about the finer points of hitting uh, when, you know, he doesn't really care about giving reporters that kind of granular answer. Uh, but right now there does seem to be a disconnect a little bit between uh, the Astros and Abreu. And you know, it could be just say he's getting old. Like, I mean, like his power disappeared late last year. Um, he hasn't homered yet this year. I mean, it's kind of a continuation of what he had been doing just mixed with the typical slow start he usually does uh, in April. Like the, the one variable was that like, well, he's in Houston, warmer weather roof shouldn't have the Chicago Aprils working against him, but you know, still he, he's off to that kind of start. So yeah, I mean like I guess the White Sox, it would be classic White Sox fashion to serve up one or two homers to get them on track that they tend to be the uh, team that you know helps. At least they're doing that for the, uh, you know, Singer and Lyles, like, Oh, let's get your ERA below eight. You know, let's get your ERA below six. Let's let's get your, uh, um, you know, value up towards uh, break even for wins above replacement. Like, you know, they could do the same for Abreu here. Yeah, uh, one of the commenters on YouTube, Bum Luck Collector, sent a comment to us. If anyone could get Jose a homer, it's Michael Kopech. And it's funny because it's true uh, with the way that Michael yeah. Kopech's giving up homers this year. Yeah, maybe. Like, although, like, his fastball is the strength. 
Like as long as he doesn't roll him a slider. Like if I'm Kopik, I just throw him fastball after fastball after fastball. Try to yeah see how much he cheats. But I would not throw a slider anywhere in the zone. Like I'm throwing it like 57 feet. If it gets to uh, well, who, who's ever I was gonna say Yasmani Grandal, but if, who knows if Grandal will be playing? But if it gets to a, who's ever catching in the air, it should be a fine. <laughs> uh, do you think Rick Hahn's gonna speak tomorrow to the media? Oh, he should. It's but, another homestand. Yeah, it just. I don't know I, what he's I, gonna say this time around. I mean, he's made a ton of roster changes. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be more injury news. Uh, uh, on the good news side, they're gonna they're gonna promote Yon Makata's back, and mm-hmm. with Makata back, we can you know get back on track. Like we're gonna hear a lot about that. We're gonna hear if Liam Hendricks could rejoin the White Sox during this homestand. Garrett Crochet. Garrett Crochet. So there's more roster shuffling coming. I just don't think he can ask for patience. Like no, no, no. you can't. You can't ask for patience right now. <laughs> Yeah, and, and there are still new questions like why is, you know, Tim Anderson in and out of lineup? Like, is he 100%? Uh, right. You know, just what do you make of Lance Lynn and Dylan Cease after their last times out? Like, there are questions, fresh questions to ask. So I hope he speaks and like he should speak if only because, like, as we said, Griffal has nothing to say. Um, yeah, there, there are some things he could say, but probably not wise or not within his personality type to uh you know take stronger stances against players when even you know he's he's dealing with a credibility issue himself and on the liam Hendricks side i it's perfectly fine if he needs more time because mm-hmm. charlotte has stat cast and the fastball velocity is just not there it's he, he's not back like he's not back to normal liam Hendricks, and we don't know if he's going to get back to normal Liam Hendricks, at least in this season, recovering from stage four cancer. I mean, to be able to recover from stage four cancer, beat it, and rehab in AAA, and be able to throw a fastball 93 miles per hour is remarkable when you put it in that context. But Liam Hendricks believes that he is still the all-star closer that he was before cancer, and that closer throws 97-98. And he is just not there right now. And I, I, I want the White Sox to be patient here with Liam Hendricks. I don't want them to feel like they got to rush him back during this homestand. Because if he, in his next appearances with Charlotte, if he can't budge from averaging 93 miles per hour on the four-seam fastball, I think it's pretty clear from the data, Jim, that... He's just not fully ramped up and ready to go. So let's wait here and maybe he could join the team during the road trip. If he can gain some more ticks in the fastball velocity, I I'm suddenly concerned that the white Sox are rushing Liam Hendricks back. I'm, I guess I'm not concerned yet. Like Hendricks, uh, after the game, like Jeff Cohen, I asked him about like, um, you know, how do you look at, it? are you ready? If the Chicago came calling now, how would you feel about it? And he said, no, it's, it's spring training for me still. Like the velocity isn't where I want it. Like he was pretty reasonable about what he had currently. Like he's got high expectations for himself overall and what he wants to be able to do for the White Sox once he gets back to Chicago. But he didn't sound like he's knocking down the door yet and saying, let me at major league hitters. Like he's, you know, he, he's looking at the velocity. Like he's very, uh, you know, 
based on when the White Sox signed him. You know, the whole codify discussions. Like he's right. aware of, I think his, you know, Rapsodo readings, his velocity readings, his extension, everything. You know, along along with the results he's getting from what hitter swings are telling him. Like I think he understands where he needs to be. Certain. Uh, benchmarks along the way for various parts of his game. So I don't think he'll be rushing it. I think the White Sox, you know, it's a tricky line for the White Sox to maintain between like encouraging them, a great story, uh, you know, keep it up. Uh, not going to let, you know, not going to let our rhetoric get in the way of his spirit. Like if he wants, if he believes he can get back uh, and he needs every, all the motivation possible to get his body in shape, like sure, you know, let him at it. Uh, I, I think fortunately, the, the White Sox problems are such to where there's so much wrong with this team that Hendricks is not going to solve anything. Like Hendricks would probably be pitching like a lot of low leverage situations just to get work. If he showed up in Chicago expecting to close games again, maybe, maybe because column a was thrown into high leverage situations when he True. arrived. So maybe Jim. Yeah. But I'm thinking like, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, just overall, like based on the game States that White Sox, uh, the White Sox lineup creates for their relievers. Like there's a lot of garbage time to be had or a lot of like trailing by three. Let's hope we keep it that way. Uh, that, you know, Hendricks is not going to affect materially. Um, you know, Anderson, when, when Anderson was on the injured list and, you know, Griffal's reading off like how the team has played without him in the past and, and how the team, uh, what the team's record is with him in the lineup. Like, expectations were on her, him to change things with Moncada coming back. Like if he can be healthy expectations, expectations will be on him to uh, help give this lineup a boost, but with relievers. And this is one reason why, like I've been, uh, you know, just over Rick Hahn spending on relievers, high leverage types, every acquisition period trade, de- trade deadline or off season, like acquiring relievers, relievers, relievers is like, uh, you have to have a lineup that makes, those relievers matter. Like he trades for Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell does not face one important situation in the postseason. Like there's no, no, you wouldn't want him facing that anyway, but there was no work for a reliever like Kimbrell to do because the lineup just didn't get him, you know, anything to work with. So like when it comes to Hendricks, like I'm not as worried just because get leads first. Like if Lopez or Joe Kelly or Kendall Graveman, you know, and, and Kelly and Graveman have been throwing the ball better as of late, but like, let's say like Graveman and Kelly relapse and all of a sudden you're dealing with the same late inning crises when the White Sox are providing lead after lead, then sure, there would be some pressure on Hendricks. But right now with the way they're playing, like, yeah, have an all-star closer back there. He's still going to be just gathering cobwebs because there's no, uh, there are no saves for him to, to earn. Yeah, we'll see what the news is. Uh, I think he still has a a few more appearances with the Charlotte Knights. We'll see. We'll get an update about Garrett Crochet. He's been hitting 98 on the gun, so it looks like that he's getting pretty close. And again, we are expecting Yohan Yohan Makata to rejoin the Chicago White Sox. Jake Berger starting his rehab assignment in Charlotte. But this homestand for the White Sox, it's nine games, Three against the Astros, three against the Guardians team. That's not off to a great start either, but they're 17 and 20. And then three more games against Kansas City the following weekend at home. Though that's the nine game home stretch here, Jim. If you wanted to make a guess on how many wins the White Sox have out of those nine home games, what are you guessing? Hmm. Part of me wants to say like you know, two and seven, just to make it abundantly clear what we're dealing with. But I feel like there's going to be like a mild upswing that gives some hope with Moncada coming back and such. I'm going to say five and four. 
it's not going to be satisfying, but it's just going to wow. be like, you can't count them out. Like I'm expecting maximum frustration of just not doing enough to actually make you feel better about the team, but also just staying within striking distance of uh, Minnesota to where like if Minnesota has a spate of injuries, like the White Sox could theoretically catch them the way that they couldn't if they were playing in the same division as like Tampa Bay or Baltimore or Texas. Yeah. Hey, if the White Sox were the American League East, uh, this season would be over. <laughs> uh, they'd be 16 and a half games oh, back yeah like, yeah yeah no they're, they're no now i mean well the twins to their credit they just won a home series against the san diego padres so the minnesota twins are currently 21 and 17 on the season uh yeah I, i'm gonna be more dour i'll be surprised if they get four wins so i'll say the white Sox go four and five in this homestand, I think they go, they lose two out of three to both the Astros and the Guardians. And I swear, if they do not win that home series against the Royals. Uh, well, I mean, Cleveland has yeah. scored 126 runs this year. Yeah, but it's Cleveland. Yeah, it is. I'm just saying, like, it feels like there are some. I mean, we just saw this in Kansas City, you know, with their home record and such. But I think there are some trends other teams are carrying to where, like, man, we can't even beat the White Sox. Like, I'm I'm hoping for, like, some uh, line of bad luck from either you know, the Guardians' misfortune continues or the, the Royals due to where they get to five and four. Because there are some flaws with these teams as well to where, like, even uh, what should look like a respite of a series against the White Sox doesn't allow them to get out of their funk. So, God willing. God willing, indeed. Well, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for watching the live stream and for our podcast listeners listening to the audio feed, uh, which is the recorded version of the show that we upload into our podcast feed. A programming note, you can go over to our friend's YouTube channel from the 108, youtube.com slash from the 108. They're going to be starting their show at 8 p.m. Central Time. And if you just discovered us, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Socks Machine underscore Josh. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. And if you don't get a chance to watch us on video, or if you don't want to, and if you want the audio versions of the show, you can get them wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy our content and want more, you can get more at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. As our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website, and new swag in our Socks Machine store. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're over all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.